Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Stefan Levera podcast, a show about Bitcoin and Austrian economics. Today, we're going to be exploring some of these questions around deflation, inflation, what is our future looking like? What are some ways that society can adapt to this kind of to this change that's happening very rapidly? But first, let me introduce the sponsors of the show. So firstly, Swan Bitcoin. If you are in the US, you have to get your stacking on with Swan. They set it up so you can auto stack and it's so simple. Step one, you auto fund USD from your bank account. Step two, auto stack the Bitcoin. And step three, auto withdraw the Bitcoin to your cold storage. Swan does not charge withdrawal fees. They want you to follow Bitcoin best practices and hold your own keys. They even beat the fees for Coinbase and Cash App in terms of the appropriate similar service. So set and forget. Enjoy your life. Just swan and chill. Go to swanbitcoin.com slash Levera and start auto stacking and you'll get $10 of Bitcoin dropped into your account. Next up is Unchained Capital. I'm sure you already know they are a provider of Bitcoin native financial services. They're building products and services on top of multi-signature. I'm sure regular listeners already know about their Vault product, uh, but if you were uncertain about how to do that, they've got the Vault Concierge onboarding package. So now you can actually get some assistance. They can send you some devices. You can buy it as a package to get set up with multi-signature. So you can use a Trezor or a Ledger or two Trezors and basically they can walk you through that setup and get you using multi-signature. Unchained Capital also offer loans as well. So you can put up some Bitcoin and get USD without selling your Bitcoin. So that's a great option for listeners. If you are looking for ways to secure your Bitcoin, go to unchained-capital.com. Next up for my Australian listeners, did you know you can buy Bitcoin with your superannuation? you can use a self-managed super fund and New Brighton Capital have streamlined that process to make it easy, fast, affordable, and you still hold your own keys. No one has control but you. So as long as you're comfortable making the investment decisions, New Brighton Capital does the accounting and reporting. They offer a free 20-minute consultation. Use the code LAVERA to get a credit on the monthly fees. Lastly, are you looking after your Bitcoin keys? Are you just using that piece of paper that comes with your Trezor and Ledger? Well, look up CypherSafe. They are creating the Cypher Wheel product, which is a steel backup product. It's in a wheel shape, obviously, and it masks the words of your seed. So you slide in the tiles and that is your Bitcoin backup. So go and check them out. Make sure that your loved ones have access uh, have access to Bitcoins if an accident were to occur. They've also got the code Levera for those of you who want to get 10% off. You can get that. All right. So now just bringing in my guest, Jeff, he is a technology entrepreneur and the author of the excellent book, The Price of Tomorrow. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks for having me. So, Jeff, uh, look, let's get started. I want to start with why did you write this book? <laughs> um, it, the simple answer is for my kids. Uh, you could see you could see what was happening in the world. I could see what was happening in the world of technology and things moving faster and faster. And this epic response to try to stop that uh, deflationary pressure uh, uh, coming into the market, just warping society and and all the second order derivatives of, of that kind of entering society. And I realized my kids will not grow up in the same world that I grew up in or have chances uh, unless something's done. So the simple, this, the simple answer is, is that it's, I would say probably more complex. It's not a book I wanted to write. Um, you, uh, the, uh, the, uh, I've been talking about this for 10 years. I think your Austrian economics back background and everything else. And, uh, and, and there's a lot of people that have come to this conclusion different ways. Uh, and, and, and there were a bunch of people in the technology sector that couldn't see what was happening. 
there was a bunch of it. And, and so, so I just got tired of talking about it and figuring I, I, I got to step into the fray and do something about it. Fantastic. And I think it is one of those things where people growing up in today's world, they're speaking to their parents and their parents are often telling them, hey, go and buy property, go and buy stocks. That's what works for me. But I think this is potentially a good point where in your book, you make the point that, you know, people talk about how, uh, you know, it's like this time is this time is different, right? Uh, are there are there ways in which, you know, what worked for that generation will not necessarily work for, say, the millennial or Zuma generation? Yeah, well, I, I think it's really important to understand what's happening, right? So, so why do we use technology, number one, right? Isn't it to make our lives simpler, easier, reduce labor, right? I don't know a company that integrates technology so their costs go up. Um, so, so the point is when we use technology, we get a, a massive efficiency gain and that brings costs down. It also destroys jobs. And, and you used to, so we used to run an economy where technology was a smaller input of everything else, kind of deflationary forces and governments could get away with kind of what was, ha what was happening against that technology. But as technology has grown and grown in magnitude and, and kind of exponentially so, um, now technology is the biggest driver by far of deflationary pressure or efficiency that it is also taking jobs, but it also providing or could provide abundance and governments are trying to stop that at all, all costs. So, so when you used to be able to buy a house in an inflationary environment and, and then pay back that house with cheaper dollars because of that inflation that you bought tomorrow, and your wages go up through your whole life. That's a that, that was a good bargain for our parents. They did really well on it, and I would say the world did uh, pretty well on it. Um, a bigger force has come to play uh, than any central bank can stop in the end, um, and that's the force of technology, uh, the exponential force of technology wanting to bring prices down. Yeah, and you mentioned there that there's almost this conflict there because it's sort of like governments and central banks of the world uh, under this ideology of inflationism, right? So they're kind of trying to print at the same, but at the same time, you've got the technology, which is kind of pushing costs down. So how do you sort of see the result of that playing out? And in your view, why is it that the deflationary forces in some ways are stronger than the inflationary forces? Or do you, would you agree with that statement? Or yeah. So the deflationary forces are way stronger, but central banks can create an create inflation is a central bank created a phenomenon, right? So, uh, so central banks can create eventually destroy the currencies, have hyperinflation and they can create inflation on the other side of that outcome. You would have deflation again. Again, to, uh, trying to just stop deflation from happening now is going to end in misery because all it's doing is transferring massive amounts of wealth from the middle class and poor to the rich. In the last two months of COVID, the billionaires in the U.S. gained $552 billion at, at a 20% unemployment. It seems ludicrous, right? But, but what's happening is as you're stimulating into an environment that wants to go down, once to prices falling, the byproduct is everybody knows that va the value of their dollar is being weakened, and that and and actually every business too is racing money into technology faster 
to destroy it. Why do you think the S&P is, is at all-time highs? And what do you think of Amazon, Google, and everything else? The money's actually taking the jobs faster because the only way you can compete as a business is to drive to technology faster. So not only do you have this massive debt burden that is disinflationary in itself because taxes have to go up <laughs> to cover the debt if taxes have to go up to cover the debt, and that brings down growth rate or, or takes companies out of the U.S. as they chase, chase other lower tax uh, uh, regions. So, but it has to be disinflationary itself. You have the, the pressure of the technology that's rising into the most important. It used to be demographics. It used to be data. It used to be everything else. Now it is technology is, is just moved up the curve. And central banks are still using old models to, um, to guide their thinking, not realizing what technology is doing underneath. And it's, it's, it's just driving a break into society. Yeah. And uh, look, uh, in your book, you talk about technology deflation, right? So it's, we're, we're experiencing economic growth. We are more productive. I'm curious your view. I can't remember exactly which. It's one of those rich tech billionaires, someone like Elon Musk or Peter Thiel, or one of those people. And I think they were essentially making the point that part of the reason we've seen so much of this growth into the technology sector is probably is arguably because it's less regulated than other sectors of the market and that might be also a reason why we're seeing this uh, massive investment in that angle. I don't don't think it's that at all. I think it's, uh, I think it's, um, it's a really great investment. Like if you understand how to build technology companies and the network effect around technology companies, you can play one of my investments. I put $25,000 in two years ago. It's 2 million right now. Um, And, 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 and so, those, if you understand the pattern behind technology and how to create the, uh, this stuff, you can create a ton of wealth in technology companies. The and so so it, so look at the Googles, look at the Facebooks, look at the Shopify's, look at the Amazons. Why they're growing so fast is they're consolidating um, massive amounts of information at a scale unheard of. They're ma- monopolies and they have more power than most people know, and you can start them for not a lot of money. Right. It, it is just this massive, uh, people can create massive platforms and then monetize. Once you've kind of reached a certain level or a certain place in society, you just earn, in some sense, the right to just earn a massive super profit. And that kind of, well, whether we like it or not, that's that's essentially what has happened in many large platform businesses. Let's say Amazon, Google, YouTube, etc., yeah, and, 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 and it reinforces on itself. Here's the, here's the irony. Um, capitalism would work perfectly if you let the system cleanse. And all that would happen is as you let technology deflation do its job, the benefits of, uh, of technology would be wider uh, to, to population. You wouldn't concentrate wealth like you're doing. So, so is it, 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 the, the policy, the response, trying to stop deflation at all costs, is actually causing the problems that the, the, the policy wants to stop, the inequality, the massive transfer of wealth. They, they're making it happen faster. They're making it happen at lightning speed because, uh, be, because of the way technology works. The other factor here is if, you, if you're talking to the typical mainstream economist or finance person or the government, 
they might not like the idea of deflationary pressure. What are some of the typical arguments? I mean, as, as an example, they might say something like, oh, but we're going to go through this deflation and a lot of businesses are going to go under. So we need to stop that. So what's your response on that point? So, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I have not heard one actual real argument against what I'm saying. Not one, not, not one that you couldn't say, say what, right. Um, but the problem is you have to, it, uh, where we are right now, they, they keep, they keep making the problem so much bigger, um, by you're going to enter a depression to be able to see the other side of this. If you let deflation happen and they're right businesses, you would, and, and I think they look back to the thirties and they say, deflation is a terrible thing. You have to stop it at all costs. Um, without realizing that it was the twenties, the debt buildup, and all of the uh, and all of the same thing, the, all the goofing around with monetary policy that created <laughs> that cleansing that needed to happen, and there was no way out. The cleansing had to take place, and and we're in the same situation. And that cleansing is going to take place in one way or the other, or in one form or the other. It's going to take place through. Uh, central banks keep on doing what they're doing get and at some point hitting a runaway inflation rate that destroys value uh, and then deflate the other side it's going to happen through revolution um or it's going to happen through choice and and a managed a managed outcome to uh to deflation but it's going to happen there's nothing they can nothing governments can do to stop it now yeah. Uh, and it's it's almost like they've sort of locked themselves into this continual creation of debt. And as you point out in the book, uh, I mean, governments around the world, many of them are in you know, record levels of debt. Uh, and they see it like the only way is to continue the creation of that debt. So why, why is that? Why do they have to keep creating more debt to keep their to kind of keep that system to keep kicking the can? Well, well, just kind of. It, 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 sometimes it's it's worth using examples, or and and let's say you have a systematic problem, and and you and they think they can grow their way out at two percent inflation to make the debt worth it cheaper in real terms, or is because if you let deflation happen, the debt explodes and has to be reset. So the debt gets more expensive. Banks fail. Businesses fail, banks fail, everything else. It's ugly. I'm not arguing the fact that a depression at the size of the problem today isn't ugly. It's terrible. But the problem is by fighting that, you're actually making it worse, worse each time. So you lower interest rates um, to, to, to misprice assets, right? You keep lowering interest rates to negative interest rates. Governments, individuals, corporations load up on debt. Because effectively, you're telling those same businesses and governments and everything else, debt's your friend. Currency, owning currency is a bad thing. Don't have savings. Load up on debt. And then when there's any blip in an economy, then, they, they, then, they, then those same businesses that don't have cash, because they use the cash to buy back shares and everything else, have to lean in to the government and say, protect me so I can protect my jobs. And by protecting them, you keep asset prices high. And a whole bunch of people that are losing their jobs anyways because of technology, you have to then give social assistance to, to give them more money to, 
to pay for the high food prices, high asset prices, high rent prices that you created in the first place. So eventually that comes home to somebody pays a piper. And that's coming, and and that's coming really quickly to a town near you. <laughs> it's coming everywhere. <laughs> it's everywhere, right? It's, it's coming, uh, the, the globe is experiencing that. <laughs> yeah, right. I think um, you you make a lot of good points in the book around where things are going in terms of automation, AI, people's jobs, and so on. And obviously, this discussion over the last few years is it's starting to rise a lot more the con- the discussion around UBI universal basic income this idea that people are going to lose their jobs and they need some income or otherwise they're going to they're going to violently you know rise up and so on i guess could you could you touch on a little bit around where what sort of jobs you see getting automated first what kind of responses that you would see that society should be doing in relation to that Okay, so if we, if we, I need to back up because people, people assume when they read my book, kind of, or, or not just that, but they, a lot of people think, okay, AI is coming like a light switch. One day we have it, one day we don't have it, one day we have it, and they're pointing that time, point in time where where computers take over and they're smarter than all humanity. And here's the point: that is totally irrelevant. AI is built through faster learning cycles because of bringing the data sets together that learns on itself faster and faster and the whole path towards uh, towards artificial intelligence one day being smarter than humanity, the entire path is deflationary and exponentially so. So it's a continuum. It is not a light switch. And all of these industries, one after another, why you don't see bookstores anymore, why it, as you digitize information, that information can be it, it sold for pennies around the world instead of uh, in, um, instead of hard copies that are hard hard to trans- transmit, and you have technology now creating its own technology. You have you have algorithms and, and, and technology. So so people say, oh, the only reason your flashlight or guitar tuner is free on 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 uh, on your phone is because it's supported with ads, and that is so not true. What do you think it costs to make that app? And that, uh, a like, dollars, I don't know. like nothing, <laughs> 10 minutes. Um, and, and, and it's put out somewhere and it has global reach across the, so, and, and while there's a dollar to be made for something, you have an endless army of people that are going to try to race in and the prices are coming down and that's what's happening. And, and, and so those, those prices are coming down everywhere in every industry, that's how technology is built. So again, nothing is going to stop that trend in the end. Governments still think they're capable of stopping that uh, or preventing that from happening, but but ironically, they're making it happen faster. With this trend of technology making it easier and cheaper to produce things, as you mentioned, the guitar tuner app or whatever app or product, we could also say, it amplifies the value creation possibility of an individual, right? One individual who is skilled, they can really amplify their impact across many, many people. And maybe one person can do the job that used to take 10 people or 100 people or 1,000 people in some extreme cases. So in some ways, we're we're moving towards a world where we're all going to be much more, at least materially, richer. 
Well, it, well, that's the point of the book. Think about what we do to, today. We spend all of our time trying to work our whole lives so that we can retire the last 10 years safely, right? And and the entire time, we're working harder and harder and harder trying to keep up with artificially price, uh, rising prices that are created artificially, right? Just to push away from us so we have to work harder. And so we need better jobs. We need everything else to be able to chase on that mouse wheel faster and faster. When technology is actually wanting to give us the exact opposite, when prices should be coming down to you don't pay for the oxygen you breathe, why not? It's the most valuable thing in your life. It's not scarce. Because it's, it's exactly, it's not scarce, it's abundant. And technology creates abundance everywhere. And so as, you, as that happens, more and more things become abundant. You don't, I don't pay for my guitar tuner. I don't pay for my Google information. I don't pay for a whole bunch of information because it becomes abundant. And there's, and if you let capitalism work, there's an army of people, well, there's still money in it, that race to make it more efficient, right? And when it's not efficient anymore, when there's no money to be made there, there anymore, it's free. Yeah. It's an interesting uh, discussion there around when things are free and then some, they're monetizing in some other way, right? Uh, you know, uh, people might, uh, you know, the, the freemium model is another example of that kind of thing that we see. Uh, but I guess just around automation and jobs and the way people should think about that, I, I would also suggest a, a, a part of that, the concern really is that, oh, some people might not be able to retrain into some other job. But in my view, I think part of that is also things like occupational licensing or just generally regulations and licensing, stopping people retraining into a new job, um, you know, or even so, 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 and so, so, so here's the thing that I think two different concepts that you might be confusing. You don't need the jobs. Of course. It, it, yeah. it, like it, it, if 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 everything if you could feed yourself everything else you could get away with way less time. When Keynes people think Keynes uh, are so against Keynes because a lot of his stuff has been been warped over time. He uh, he was he was pro deflation, and 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 he believed that by today we would be working about a fifteen hour work week. What he didn't conceive is a manipulation of policy. That, that pushed some people to not have to work at all, massive wealth transfer, and some people to have to work infinite hours to try to keep up. So he, predict, he predicted, because he predicted things tied to gold reserve, he, he, predict, he, uh, uh, he predicted um, the abundance from technology being evenly, more evenly spread. And, uh, and, and the manipulation of currencies is what made it not evenly spread. Right. And I think, so yeah, so people would look at, say, the Keynesian theory and say, well, for example, some of the arguments around like sticky wage and so on. And that's why people have this kind of inflationary concept. But to your point around living in a world of abundance, I think, yeah, certainly that was, uh, I think there's a few things to tease apart, though. One thing there could also be almost like a status game aspect, right? So people, let's say you're in a rich town uh, and people are working really hard, not necessarily because they need to for their survival. It's it's that they want to be richer than their their friend in in the house next door. That yeah. kind of aspect, and that could also be why people are working more than fifteen hours a week, right? You could, for for instance, you could lower your standard of living 
And instead of working 40 hours a week, work 20 hours a week. And many people can do that, right? Yep. I, 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 I'm just saying when you, so capitalism takes into account all of the things you talked about. We, we have, when you have government uh, manipulating free prices and everything else and the government stimulus in the entire market, it looks way more like communism. It's a managed society, right? That's, that's what it looks like today. We don't have a capitalist system at all, right? In a capitalist system, it makes it, it what it says is it, the th- same thing you said, people will work well, well, they can make more. Right. You put a you put a really good tweet out at one point that you're not advocating for equality, you're advocating for fairness, and I think that was uh, and I and I think that's exactly right. I think you, the game board has to be fair. Today, the game board is anything but fair. By the 100%. way, I, I'm a winner, right? So so there's a whole bunch of me and people, my my friends that have all these assets, technology companies and everything else. And the wealth is just being piled faster and faster and faster because we're sitting on the, uh, sitting on the assets. Um, but, but so through that lens, I can really easily see why somebody over the other side says, I can't feed my family and they want to break the game. Right. I can, I can understand the response. Right, yeah, and I think uh, it, there's a lot to be said there because, I mean, and part of why I was saying that was I think there's too much discussion about inequality per se when really we should be thinking more about justice. What is just? And I think it, there's a lot about the fiat money system that is not just, and that yeah. is why I'm, you know, I'm so much about Bitcoin and ways that people can uh, get out, get away from that sort of system. And I think in you know, if we were to imagine the world of a, you know, a fully like a free market deflationary world, a capitalist world, we would see a lot of, let's say, you know, the boring work would just get automated away. And then people could actually be, in some sense, free to work on things that were more creative in nature. You'd have a cultural revolution. There. You'd have right. a, you, um, you, you would have an enlightenment of, of people having having time. And uh, and things would be getting cheaper and cheaper. Along, why do you use technology in your house? Why do you? Because it saves you time, right? Um, it's a it, that that across the board. And shouldn't we be amplifying that to take away the the uh, labor instead of having an old construct that says we need more jobs and we need more artificial growth to create more artificial jobs to be able to again against that. That's what that's every single government all over the world. Is uh, they have policies that say, how do we get more jobs, right? How do we get full employment? And they're all using their currencies as weapons against other currencies to try to achieve that outcome. And and it's just not plausible. It's not it's not realistic anymore. Yeah, actually, I recall in your book you made a point there around currency war leading to trade war, and in unfortunate cases, sometimes leading to full blown war. So do you, do you see that sort of trend playing out now in terms of currency war, trade war? That's what's happening right now, right? And, and remember, the book was written over the last uh, pre-January. It was released in January, but it was written in a year be- and a half before that. So all of these things that are just being accelerated as COVID. But look around. Look around at the populism that is growing in every, in every region in the world as people are dividing against each other. Um, and believing the narrative that their politicians are saying on both sides of the aisle, 
And the politicians on both sides of the aisles are wrong because they're missing the point. And then once you once you gain enough power in your own country, you have to create a bigger enemy and 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 to retain power. So that bigger enemy becomes China or that bigger enemy becomes Russia or that bigger enemy. And that's happening so for a lot of your listeners in the US, they would see it from their perspective in the US. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. And every and and people are listening to different rhetoric in in another place thinking the same thing about U.S. citizens or vice versa. Yeah, I think another aspect is also, so, you know, we're all agreed on this idea that technology is, well, most people are on this idea that technology is a good thing. It's making us wealthier, it's giving us more time to be more creative. I think it might also be interesting to chat a little bit about some areas where technology might make us misguided or there might be some risks around that. So I think maybe when I was a kid, it was sort of seen like, oh, well, see, now that we've got the internet, information will just spread so easily and quickly. But the reality now is, yeah, information spreads quickly, but it also means misinformation and, uh, you know, fake news. And you know, it's it's difficult sometimes to sort out and figure out what's the truth of the matter, because now there's just so much material out there. Now it's about how do you cut through that and filter through the, the noise? Yeah, and you know I talked about this extensively in the book as uh, as well. It's it uh, it's hard to a feature of the system. It's not a bug. Is you see more things that you agree with, and and it is really easy um, to to get stuck in that loop. And when you come up for air and look at somebody else, they're stuck in a different loop, and you think they're insane, and it might be you. It's in, 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 and it's really hard to actually step back. I'll give you, I give you a, one of the tweets I really liked about that you said. I'm going to give you one that I, um, I disagree with. Um, a whole bunch of the first principles talk came from my book. And then the reason you see it more and you see it is because there's a whole bunch of people in the Bitcoin community that have already gone down that path and they're deeper thinkers and they've gone to the bottom of the hole, come back up and said, this makes a lot of sense. So, so your bias in first principles and thinking in first principles is seeing a whole bunch of community rally around my book <laughs> and, and, and think deeper. And you think it's more people are seeing that or say, or are, are, are doing that or in virtue signaling because of it. When most people aren't thinking like that, and so, so I would go the opposite way. I would say, I would hope a whole bunch more people ask deeper questions and say, why is, wouldn't you want to think in first principles? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you want to say, um, is inflation a good thing without just uh, believing it is? Why wouldn't you ask, why is it a good thing? And is that true? And is that true to come to your own conclusions? I think in a world that you're, you're so much attention is, is trying to drive you down a certain path and you're naturally likely to click on that and drive you further down that path, it's your responsibility to ask deeper questions and look around the corner because the technology won't do that for you. Of course, yeah, uh, and uh, but, yeah. So my comments of earlier about uh, first principles and so on—that wasn't directed at you. Uh, but no, I, 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 I realize yeah. it, but but yeah. again, what I'm getting at is there's a whole bunch of your community that 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 are deeper thinkers on this, right? And and we there's 
that needs to be brought to a broad audience. There's a whole bunch of people that are just like, they've got a hook in their mouth and they're just listening to, to rhetoric. Um, and, and they're not they're not thinking it through. They're not thinking what's the next step of this? What's the next step of that? I would hope that we go the other way. I would hope everybody starts pushing out. Let's think about this. It, this conversation that we're having right now, um, what if the conversation, you just said, we, we all agree that technology is deflationary. I haven't found one person who doesn't agree with that. We all, and, and I also haven't found one person that uh, doesn't agree that it's exponentially de deflationary. If those two things are true, then all the other bullshit, I, I, I actually, why are we talking about anything else? If those things are true, then the world's going to look very different, right? Why don't we spend all our time in, in how do we build a path to the other side? Why don't we do what a business would do and say, let's, if these things, with these new things being true, how do we, how, how do we transition? Instead, it's just like monetary policy, this, if, if those two things we just said were true, then nothing else matters. We, we need a rewrite. Great, yeah, and look, I think uh, I think most Bitcoin people certainly would agree that those are those two statements are true. I think that perhaps the real debate or the real question and the the argumentation online is more about people acting in a zero sum mindset, and they're arguing over who gets what, who gets the gains. I love that you said that. So, so I love that you said to to build coalition, and and so there's some in the Bitcoin community that just want to rewrite, right? And say, now I have million dollar Bitcoins and I, now I have 10, $50 million. If it happens that fast, they won't want to live in that world. They will not want to, that world, how do you pay for lighting down your street? What is the, what does the chaos look like? You won't be able to keep it. You won't, so, so I would argue for me, I hope it happens slower I would way rather a, a whole bunch of um, really smart in, people talking about a transition to this than fighting against, uh, fight, uh, calling names, right? Um, because the, the, more, the more that this goes, the further along this axis we go on the current path, I suspect Bitcoin is going to do extraordinarily well. Right, so that that we agree with. I just don't know if I want to live in a world that that looks that that has that much upheaval overnight. Yeah, and look, absolutely, we don't want. Uh, I would agree with you. We don't. Uh, we don't want to live in a world where like everyone's like having to constantly look over their shoulder and all that. Yeah. Absolutely, I think it's the way I'm seeing it though is more like. There's the difference between what we want and what we think is likely, right? Yeah, that's and a so, really good yeah. point. Really good point. You know, so we may well not want it to happen that way, but we might also think of it like, hey, this thing is coming regardless, and we're just going to have to prepare for it. And but, yeah. there, there's certainly some of that, and and there's no question that some of that's why I, I look at my portfolio the way I do. It's it's playing probabilities. Um, but but to the point, and actually, well, that's why I make these points on the podcast. You can play the probabilities for your personal gain, right? You should, right? What are where that your personal gain, everything else? But what you should be advocating for is a global gain, 
right? You should be advocating as, as a, at, at, at a bigger level. And, and so what I try to do is I try to advocate uniting <laughs> rather than that, rather than division. I'm not worried about kind of money out of this. I, I, I'm, I'm looking way more at the societal consequences. Right. And I think this comes back to, for me, this comes back to that point we were talking about, what, you know, inequality versus justice, right? Yeah. Or fairness, right? And I think that to me is we're going through this time. And I think most, as, as with a few, let's call them neo-Luddites aside, <laughs> I think most people see that the technology is coming and we're just going to have to deal with it. But the question then is more like, how does society respond to that? And I think this is potentially where there's a bit of a tension between, let's call it the techno-libertarians and the techno-crats, right? The people who believe that we should use technology to surveil you and to, you know, to like try and control society in a certain way. And then the countervailing pressure, which is obviously a lot more of my listeners are, are in that kind of camp, which is more like the technology as the liberating force that enables people to be more free uh, as opposed to technology being used to kind of control people into this kind of social credit system or cancel culture or you, you get what I'm yep. saying, right? Yeah. And, and this is a monetary phenomenon. Other, so your listeners, what your listeners want, the, 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 your, say your camp of listeners would be the natural order of things if technology was allowed to do its thing without monetary interference. That's what would happen, right? You wouldn't, you wouldn't, cre you wouldn't create this type of centralized power because the money wouldn't be chasing it as fast. There would be more opportunities and they would be spread out wider. There would still be concentration. And the, and the reason there'd be concentration is because human beings, we say we want democratized access or whereas you have it. Did I, so you I, just cut out there I, just I for a minute? Yeah. So you were just saying, yeah. uh, we want this access, we want democratized access, you have it, and then you just cut out at that point. Yeah, so you just you you just never go to page 450 on Google. <laughs> yes, right? that's right. So you have it, you you just don't, you don't use it. So you, you trust a brand, you trust, because you don't have the time to go to, to go do it. So what ends up happening is we believe technology is going to be this great enabler, but it actually concentrates because the network effects and our choices that consolidate over and over. We very rarely go to page two on Google, right? We trust that the algorithm brings us the information that we want in the way, and it's not, it's not Google's bad in doing it. It's just, that's the way that uh, we don't have the time. Of course. I think it, I think that though Google and these big companies have also had a lot of government interference into them, right? So, I mean, obviously all the Snowden stuff when it was, it came out that, you know, the US government was basically tapping into these big companies servers and so on. It might well be the case that were it not for this kind of prevailing attitude that the government has to, you know, intervene to try and keep us safe, so on, companies might have had their own incentive. Maybe we would have seen better privacy technology. Maybe we would already have um, much more advanced encryption in the way we communicate and collaborate. You know, I think it's that to me comes back to that kind of technocrat versus techno libertarian kind of view and that's kind of the battle that's kind of playing out now what sort of future do we want so i think the bigger battle is that's why i said it's a monetary battle um it is there's a whole bunch of technology that i think know this it's deflationary but haven't connected the dots into our monetary system right and don't know that that if this is true 
if it's this deflationary, then then they're benefiting from the same that, that you're just rushing money into technology faster and faster uh, as a result. And so you cannot have something that is deflationary at this scale against an inflationary monetary policy. That's that's the source of most of the problems. You're right, some of these other things at, at the edges, um, and we worry about Big Brother, and we worry about the more power that you concentrate, what is that Lord Acton quote? Uh, Power absolute corrupts, power, absolute power, power yeah. corrupts, absolutely. Um, and the more power that anybody has, um, they they change the rules, right? And that's and 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 so what typically happens in a in a system in a capitalist system is they can't change the rules because they never get that big, and there's somebody else always willing to to uh, uh, to come in. And and, keep and take that to, to keep them in check, and we're stopping that system. Right. So I guess in your view, then, what are your thoughts on how things start to play out? Right. I think in your book, the theme was essentially, and I, I would agree with you, that essentially governments are going to do everything they can to kick the can down the road. So what are the likely outcomes of that? Yeah, I, you're seeing them. Um, the uh, did you read my mon- monopoly post? Yes, that was a great post. Yeah, uh, that so, was a good post. Yeah. So, so again, once you consolidate a game board, right, in Monopoly, it reinforces the rich get richer, reinforces reinforcing, and the game ends. The poor get poorer, poorer, and there's a reinforcing loop. And with it, it's poor, racial divide, minorities, whatever it is, the people on the bottom of that are reinforcing on a negative loop. And they're choosing not to play the game. Right, and they're and they're and they're rebelling against. So some some are choosing Bitcoin. I'm going to play a new game where the new rules are fair. Some are anarchists that are rising up against the system and want to burn the game to the ground. Right, and some are wait. We need UBI to be able to play the game to keep playing this game. Right, those three those three things are absolutely predictable in what in, in what happens. Then you're having all of them happen at the same time, and so UBI won't work. Socialism doesn't work, mind you. We have a communist system now, right? We we have when you, when government is this much of the uh, there is no free market, so um, so it's no wonder that a whole bunch of people are asking why do I pay taxes. If you can print money at any pace, why am I paying taxes? And then on the other side, well, if you could give me $2,000, why don't you give me $4,000 without any idea of where this money comes from? And a whole bunch of people, suppose smart people, feeding into, that, yeah, that'll work, right? So, But no wonder people gravitate to it when they can't feed their families, right? When they, when they look at somebody else consolidating wealth, and they say the game is rigged. Right. And and so some are doing that, driving political divide. Some are anarchists, wanting to 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 rise up against the system, and and some are choosing a, a choosing a different game. Right. And I think the the Bitcoin game, as it were, um, you know, I see it like more and more people will just start operating outside of the 
normal financial system, right? You can be in whatever country around the world, you can be a programmer, web developer, designer, whatever, and you can just take Bitcoin and nobody can stop you doing that. And so, uh, I think that is a powerful factor in the favor of the individual. And it's very aligned with the thesis from, say, the sovereign individual. And potentially we see this world of more jurisdictional competition because governments around the world will eventually see they can't stop this thing. So now it's about how do you best adapt to a world in which Bitcoin exists? What do yeah, you think? I totally agree with you. I think that it's at some point... Uh, that government, some governments have to peg to it, um, that, uh, and then the same. And it's a network effect, and the more more people, the more on roads to it, and the more people that are trusting it. And why wouldn't you trust it? Like, why do you trust a piece of paper with uh, faces and names on it? The only reason you trust it is the government's implicit guarantee of it as a legal tender. And if governments are choosing to destroy that guarantee. And you know they're choosing to destroy that guarantee. Why can't something else will replace it? Something else will guarantee replace it. I suspect that something else is Bitcoin because it works on a network effect. And I suspect that the next step of that, after more and more people onroad onto it, that governments start to onroad onto it as well. Right. And uh, so we'll see some governments who fight it and others who embrace it. And potentially the ones that embrace it will do better in this new deflationary future. So, so that's the interesting thing, thing right? The, the, it gives an advantage to the ones that are early and the ones that are early are, are more likely and, and penalized by being on the U.S. currency for a long time. And every time, and, and so you, you might see some governments around the world jump onto this um, earlier and and you're going to have a, it, this is going to be a big fight, right? Governments are going to try to stop this at all costs, but, but again, because it's, uh, because it's digital in nature, they're not going to be able to stop it. Right. I, I wonder though, because there are some like, I think, uh, I think it was Patrick McHenry who uh, in, in one of the hearings, he was saying there's no capacity to stop Bitcoin. Right. And so and he is like a ranking U.S. You know, government politician. So but again, then on the other end of the spectrum, you've got the Brad Shermans of the world who are like, no, we've got to stop it. And who will pull out the typical, oh, it's used by terrorists and whatever. Right. Yeah. I'm not saying that you won't try. So you asked the question about what are the probabilities, right? The probabilities are this thing. Central banks all around the world are going to try to stop deflation at all costs because they can't come to their terms with the depressionary effect of not stopping it, right? Banks failing, everything else. They can't come to it. So they're going to try to kick the can down the road and they're going to make the problem worse as a result. And you're going to keep driving this inequality. That's going to drive more people onto Bitcoin and gold for, for a time. At some point, it's going to, it's going, somebody's going to peg to it. Right at some point, that's what I would say. The prob- the high probabilities are, uh, are, and if you look at different regions, if you're in Lebanon right now, right, and you're dealing with hyperinflation that you can't pay for food, but you had Bitcoin, you you look pretty smart. You can move it outside of the country at will, or Venezuela and everything else, and you can feed your family. And I suspect that people who have made that choice um, and spread the and spread what's happened in th- those regions. Um, that they will never give up Bitcoin again. 
Right. It's a social learning thing as well because it's people learn from what their friends and family are doing. And if, yeah. if it works for your friend or your, your mom or your brother, then you'll take it on and you'll just learn it that way. And I think it just it's just going to play out in cycles where people learn from their friends and family. Yeah. We're still really early in the, that adoption curve. I think we're still really – so the on-roads offer, uh, offer it's, it's, it's still hard to use. It scares a whole bunch of people. Um, the, uh, but I, actually, I love a lot of the Bitcoin community and what they're doing to try to help that uh, – some of your advertisers in the beginning, right? Those on-roads offer are getting easier and easier, um, and it provides a vehicle that is going to be way easier to use in the future. That's right. All right. So, look, uh, Jeff, I've really enjoyed chatting with you. I loved your book. Uh, if you've got any closing thoughts for the listeners, and uh, where can they find you online? Uh, online at Jeff Booth. Uh, closing thoughts, just keep doing what you're doing. I would say with one caveat, unite. Unite the communities. Um, so one thing about Bitcoin that it comes across uh, as uh, is people – don't want to listen to somebody that they think is just arrogant and full of it. You have to let them discover some of this and think about how you discovered it as well before you knew. Take that into your your conversations going forward, um, and uh, and you'll have a better, I think, a, a better outcome in bringing more people to the community. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for joining me, Jeff. And listeners, you can find me online at stefanlevera.com. That's it from us, and we'll see you guys in the Citadels.